This student ministry podcast is a sermon preached by Pastor Kurt Skelly at the 2009 West Coast Baptist Teen Camp. Pastor Skelly is the senior pastor of the Harvest Baptist Church in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Why do we lose our appetite? All right, number one. Why do we lose our appetite? I think number one, sometimes we don't have an appetite for the things of God because we're not alive. That's pretty simple. Why, why do we not? You say, Pastor Skelly, uh, you know, I, I have to admit that I have no desire to uh, read the Bible. I don't consistently read it. Um, I even don't even inconsistently read it. I just don't read my Bible. It's not part of my life. Uh, I don't enjoy church. I don't look forward to uh, Sunday school class. Uh, The Christian school Bible class is my least favorite class. I just don't have an appetite for spiritual things. If you were to ask me, do you really have a passion to serve God? Do you have a passion to win souls to Christ? Do you have a passion to know the, the will of God and know the word of God? My answer to that question would have to be no. I really don't have that passion. Uh, what's my problem? Well, I would say perhaps, maybe, your problem is that you've never been saved. Because dead people don't have an appetite. Uh, I've been in uh, the pastorate now, the senior pastorate for, uh, I've been a senior pastor for 17 years, uh, and I've done hundreds of funeral services, hundreds of funeral services over the years. And uh, in all of the funeral services that I've conducted, I can tell you the time in the funeral that is the most difficult for the family. And it's always the same. It's the time when the family gets to view the body in the casket for the last time. Those of you that have never had a mom or a dad or or grandma or grandpa who have uh, died, who has died, then um, you probably don't understand this. But the toughest time is when the family is allowed, they go last, the family goes last, when the family goes up to the casket and they look in and here's the body of that dad. I remember looking at my dad in the casket, realizing that in just a moment, they're going to close that lid, and I'll never see that body again. Now, I'll see his glorified body one day, but I'll never see that body again. It's going to go in the ground. In my dad's case, it was going to go in an oven and be burnt up. He was cremated. And so that's a difficult time. And yet, in all of my years of doing funerals, I have never seen, I've seen people grab the loved one. I've seen people... This is kind of gross, but I've seen them kiss uh, their loved one. I've seen them hold on to them. Uh, I had one funeral where a, a, a wife was so distraught, the funeral director and his assistant literally had to pry her away from her dead husband's body. I mean, it was just, uh, it was just an emotional time. And yet never in the 200 or so funeral services that I've conducted, never have I ever seen that corpse sit up. Or say, you know, I'm going to miss you too. Or, man, I sure am hungry. Uh, I've never seen that. And if I ever do see that, that will be the last funeral service that I will ever conduct. Uh, I will never do that. You know, I, I have a friend who's a funeral. A funeral. Uh, he owns a funeral home. He's a mortician. And uh, he, he, he's told me some weird stories. Do you know that when the, when the body dies, 
there are still obviously gases in the body. And those gases have to escape the body, and gases escape the body through holes. That's why you, know, you talk through your mouth, and, and it, you, sometimes your nose bleeds, and that's why sometimes when you have too many burritos, bad things happen to other parts of your body and escape through other holes in your body. Um, and so when a, when a body is dead, the gases in the body, they'll escape. And he said, sometimes he'll be working on a body, and that body will, that person will moan. He said, it's a freaky thing. He said, when he first started working on bodies, it was strange. Then you know also that as the body uh, dies, rigor mortis sets in, where the, the, body, the body will stiffen. And sometimes it, it will stiffen in such a way that that body will, will straighten up. He said, it, he's been working on a corpse where the body has actually sat up. That would be a little much for me. A little bit much for me. Or uh, an arm will straighten out, or you'll hear that moaning. And I'll tell you what, that would freak me out. Now, the body's not alive. The body's not alive. It's just giving signs of life. You know, I, I'm afraid that sometimes that's true even in, in teen groups. Sometimes uh, there will be noises that escape your body. Sometimes there'll even be motion in your body, but there's really not bona fide life in your body. And the Bible makes it clear that if there's not a hunger and a thirst in your life for righteousness, I mean, I want you to think about it right now. In your life, do you have a passion to live for God? Do you want to know God? Do you want to live for God? Because if you don't, you might not be alive. I had a roommate in college he was crazy. His name was Manny. He was my best friend. He was the, he, I'm telling you, he was just, when he and I got together, it was just crazy. It was crazy. Uh, we did crazy things. We had a little game we would play. And uh, the game was, uh, we, would, we would say, uh, we'd ask the other guy, do you love me? And if he answered yes, then whatever I told him to do, he had to do it. So he, he'd say, Kurt, do you love me? And if I said yes, then whatever he told me to do, I had to do it. One time we were in, in, uh, in uh, the snack shop at the college, and it was final exams. And he looked over, oh, we would do, do you love me or do you love Jesus? Either way, if you said yes, whatever he said, you had to do. And uh, he said, uh, Kurt, I mean, there's probably 200 people in the room all studying for final exams. It's quiet. He said, Kurt. I said, yeah. He said, do you love Jesus? I looked over, and I didn't know what he was going to say. I said, yes. He said, get on this table. It's a big round, like, lunch table. Get on this table right now and preach the gospel. And I didn't know what to do, so I said, well, if you'll lead the singing, I'll preach. And sure enough, I'm telling you, he jumped up on the table. Said, listen, everybody, we're studying for final exams right now, but I just think it might be a good thing if we could sing a chorus of victory in Jesus. Sing it with me, ready? I heard him. And I'm telling you what, you know, Bible college students like, like, like cows, they cattle, you know, mm, they all started singing. So I jumped up on the table and preached some goofy message. And I mean, we just did nutty things. I was driving home from school with him one day, and I lived in Connecticut, which was 15 hours away from where I went to school years ago. And uh, I said, Manny, do you love me? And he said, yes. And I said, drive me home. 
And he said, okay. So we pulled up to our dorm and back to Chevy Citation up to the dorm room, opened the hatchback. We're just taking underwear and socks and shoes and throwing it in the back. We're packing, you know. And, uh, and he drove me home to Connecticut 15 hours one way. And we stayed for just a little short time, turned around, drove back. I mean, he was just nuts. He, uh, he got a job. You had to know this guy. He, he just, everything he touched turned to gold. He's a vice president for Verizon now, lives in West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, makes millions of dollars. He lives in a, a mansion. Unfortunately, he, he's not serving the Lord, but uh, he, he just, everything he does turns to gold. He, he went out to get a job, and he wasn't going to get a job at McDonald's. He wasn't going to get a job for minimum wage. He went out and applied for this job in the newspaper at Kuiper Funeral Home. Kuiper Funeral Home. And he got a job at the funeral home. And the very first day on the job, he came home late that night, and I said, Manny, how did your, how did your day go? He said, well, it, it didn't go too well. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, the, the boss, Mr. Kuiper, sent me out on a pickup. Now, remember, he works at a funeral home, so a pickup can only mean one thing. That means you're going to go get the dead body. So he said, the, the funeral director told me, drive the hearse to this address. It was a, it was a convalescent home. He said, park out back, because it's bad business when you park a hearse in the front of a, of a convalescent home. He said, park out back. He said, go to the nurse's station, and you're going to pick up this dead body, bring it to the home. And he, he taught him, you know, what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say. So Manny said, no problem. I can handle it. So he drives down to the funeral home, or rather the convalescent home. He parks in back. He goes to the nurse's station. They said, oh, yes, the, the body that you're picking up is down in such and such room. And he's got the little bed thingy on the wheels, and he's wheeling it. And he looks nice. And so he goes down to the room, and he goes in the room. And it's only then that he realizes that in the room, the family is still there around this dead woman's body. They're still there grieving. And Manny, you know, he goes in. He's kind of goofy. And, and he says, uh, listen, folks, I, I'm, I'm sorry f- for your loss. And, uh, yeah, I'm here to, to remove the beloved from the, the premises. And so if, uh, if you all could just step out of the room for a moment, that, that'd be good. And, well, the family says, well, we, we don't want to leave. You know, we want to stay here with grandma and mom, and, and uh, so we want to stay. So, man, oh, I, I understand that that's no problem at all. We all grieve differently, and uh, I'm, I'm going to need to remove your loved one from the room, but th- that's fine if you want to just stay. It was at that moment that he looked at the dead body and realized that the woman was very large, very oversized, um, two tons of fun. All right, there she was, right on the table. And so... Um, He's thinking, how am I going to get, like, all of this dead weight on my table, on my little bed thing? So he does the very practical thing. He looks at the largest relative in the room, the strongest relative in the room, and he says to him, listen, would you mind um, helping me? You know, you get one end, I'll get the other end, and one, two, three. You know, well, this guy's like, no. Like, I'm not going to do your job. Oh, oh, no, I I totally understand. No problem at all. Forgive me for asking. And so he decides that he'll employ what we call the flop method. So he takes the bed, and, and it's adjustable. He lowers it so that it's the same height as the bed on which the, the, the orca whale is now li- beached right there. And so he, he puts the, 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 
the, the rolling table right next to her, and he flops one half of her, and now he's going to go over and flop the other half. And everything's going well until he realizes that he's made a very big error in judgment. You see, the rolling beds that funeral homes have all have a break on the wheel so that it won't move. And in his zeal to remove the large dead person from the room, he forgot to set the brake. So when he flopped the body over, the body pushed the table out and crashed to the floor. Flop! <laughs> you know, like a big bag of jello. The family was not excited about this eventuality. They all said, ah! They ran out to the hallway. Get this guy out of here. And, and I, I said, Manny, what did you do? He said, well, when the family ran out, he said the adrenaline kicked in. And he said, I lifted the lady up somehow, some way, eat her up on the table, and got out of there. So it wasn't a good first day. Matter of fact, that very night, it was late at night. It was boiling hot in our dorm room. He said, uh, hey, do you want to go down to see the funeral home? My boss has an extra air conditioner he wants to give us. So we, went, we drove down to the funeral home late at night. We went in. We toured the funeral home. He had the keys. I mean, we were like laying in the coffins. They're very comfortable. <laughs> he brought me into a room. It was uh, the, bo- the room where they prepare the dead bodies. There were three bodies in that room. It was very cold. It was refrigerated. And uh, I got in the middle of that room, realized Manny wasn't next to me. He was over by the side of the room next to the light switch with a grin on his face. Ha, 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 womp. I had to grope my way out of the room with dead bodies. It was very, very uh, disconcerting. Whole point is this. We can laugh and we can joke. But, you know, when people are dead, they're dead. And all of the functions of life cease. They don't walk anywhere. They don't talk. They don't breathe. They don't eat. They don't have any of the natural desires that a living person has. And I'll say this. If you don't have any spiritual desire in your life, if you don't have an appetite for the things of God, then I'm not telling you that you're unsaved, but I'm asking you to examine your heart, as Paul told us to do, And if you don't have any appetite for spiritual things, listen, my friend, it might be that you've never been saved. All right? Why don't we desire spiritual things? Number one, maybe we're dead. Number two, maybe we're not working. Maybe we're not working. You know, it's amazing what what appetite we can develop if we work hard. It's amazing how hungry I am after I've played ball for a couple hours. It's amazing how hungry I am after I've worked uh, 10, 11 hours all day long and come home. It's amazing what looks good to me. Uh, Oftentimes, I'll, I'll stay late at the office and got a lot of things going on. And my wife inevitably will call me and say, do you want me to cook something for you? And typically what I'll say is, no, don't worry about it. I'll just grab something when I get home. You know why? Because when I've worked all day long and I've gone all day without eating and I've worked hard, when I get home, it really doesn't make a difference. I don't need a steak. I don't need some kind of a fancy cooked meal with spice just right. Any old peanut butter sandwich will do. And by the way, I'm fine with like three peanut butter sandwiches toasted. 
extra crunchy peanut butter, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. If I'm hungry, I'm fine with almost anything because I've worked hard. And one of the reasons why teenagers don't have an appetite for God is because they're not working for God. If you'll get busy working for God, you know, it's amazing to me. If you'll get out and be a soul winner, I mean, get out and pound on some doors. It's amazing how soul winning causes me to run to my Bible to figure out what the answers are to all these wacky questions that people have when I step on their doorstep. And if you'll get busy for God and have a heart for young people and get busy and work on a bus route and get busy and volunteer in a Sunday school class and get busy and be a soul winner and get busy and serve at the church, it's amazing what work will create. It's amazing the appetite in your life that that will create. But if you're not working for God, typically you won't have an appetite for the things of God. Matter of fact, the opposite will be true. If you're not working for God and yet you're still force-fed food, what will happen? When you don't work and you eat, you become very spiritually fat. I'm afraid that we live in a brand of Christianity today where people have become spiritually fat. They're not working, so they're not expending energy for God, but they're eating and they become, uh, they become very, very lethargic in their Christian life because they know a lot, they've imbibed a lot, but they have not expended a lot of energy, and therefore they become spiritually fat. When, when I first took our church in, in Pittsburgh, there was a young man in our church by the name of Josh Eaton. Uh, and Josh was uh, a public school kid in our church. Uh, his parents are both faithful members of our church. He was the first 300-pound lineman. Now, that's not amazing anymore, but back 15 years ago, that was still an amazing thing to be three, a 300-pound lineman. He was a 300-pound lineman in high school. He, doesn't, have, he doesn't, doesn't appear to have an ounce of body fat on him. I'm telling you, he's just a mountain of a guy. He doesn't have any flab on him whatsoever. I mean, the guy is just built. He's ripped. 300 pounds. He's the first 300-pound lineman that Air Force Academy ever recruited. He played as he started as a freshman on, Air, on the, the Air Force Academy football team. He recruited by them. Got a full scholarship four years. When he was done with four years of Air Force Academy, he taught calculus for the academy and the Air Force Academy. I mean, the guy was the valedictorian of his class. He was a 300-pound lineman on the football team. He had it all. He went out to Air Force Academy, and although he had a full-ride scholarship, he didn't really have much money. His parents don't have a lot of money. He went out, and although his room, board, and tuition were paid for, on weekends when he'd go out, he wouldn't have a lot of spending money. So he couldn't go to fancy restaurants and that kind of thing. He wasn't living on a stipend. And there was a restaurant in town that had a deal. Here was the deal. There was a a hamburger that they made. I want to say it was like a three-pound hamburger. Three-pound hamburger, that would be like 12 quarter-pounders. A three-pound hamburger, it was the size of a plate, and the bun, I mean, it's huge. And then they had a, a tub, I mean, like a, literally like a quart-sized tub of French fries. A tub, like a whole, a whole stack, a whole French fry stack of, of fries in one tub. And then like uh, a half gallon of soda. With the ice, it's this huge cup. And the deal was this. If you can eat the meal in 20 minutes, you can have it free. And people had tried over the years. Nobody had ever been able to do it. 
If you can eat the meal in 20 minutes, you can. Well, Josh was hungry. He didn't have any money. He looked at that advertisement on the window of this famous ha- uh, hamburger place, and he went and sat down, and he said to the waitress, he said, I want, and he didn't have any money. So he's like totally living by faith here. I'm going to do this. He said to the waitress, he said, I want to order that meal and eat it, f- and get it for free for eating in 20 minutes. The waitress didn't even, no one had done it in so long, she didn't even know what the rules were. The manager came out and said, okay, here are the rules. The rules are you have to eat the whole thing. You have to eat all of the French fries. You have to drink all the soda. You can't get up. You can't go to the bathroom because they're afraid someone's going to be bulimic and like regurgitate it. You've got to eat the whole thing. Everything's got to be done in 20 minutes. If it's not done, you have to pay for it. And it costs like 20 bucks. It was expensive if you didn't finish it. And people would order it, like groups would order it and cut it up, but nobody had ever done it single. So he sat down, the manager got out there, clicked the stopwatch, he began eating. Twelve minutes later, he was done. He would go there every single Sunday and eat that meal for free, and the manager loved it because people would come just to watch him eat that meal. You say, how in the world did he do that? Well, every day of his life, he'd get up and lift weights for like three hours. Then he'd go to school. Then he'd go to football practice for like four hours. The guy worked, 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 worked. It was nothing for him to eat that meal. See, the point is, he had a voracious appetite. Because he, had, he was an incredible worker. He'd pump iron and work out and be in those pits and work on those blocking dummies at football practice. The man was incredible. He had an incredible appetite because he was an incredible worker. Listen, one of the reasons why teenagers don't have an incredible appetite for God is because they never spend an ounce of energy for the Lord. And I'd say this, a good decision out of teen camp would be to go home and get busy working for God. I'm saying this summer, every single one of you ought to have a ministry in your local church. Every one of you. Every one of you ought to be working on a bus route or volunteering in a Sunday school class. Every one of you ought to be there at the work days. Every one of you ought to be working for your local church. If you don't have a summer job, which most of you do have, but if you don't have a summer job, you ought to go down to your local church. You ought to say to your pastor, your youth pastor, I am available to work. You just give me a job. I'll mow the lawn. I'll cut the hedges. uh, I'll work out. I'll collect the tumbleweeds. You give me a job to do, I'll do it at my local church. And I'll promise you what will happen as you work for God, God will give you a greater appetite for the things of God. Why don't we have an appetite for God? Well, maybe we're dead. Why don't we have an appetite for God? Well, number two, maybe we're not working. Number three, why don't I have an appetite for God? Maybe I'm eating too much junk food. Maybe I'm eating too much junk food. It's amazing how our appetite can be quelled by eating junk food. Uh, My kids sit at the table. They're not hungry. One of two things is true. And one of those things that is true is they've been uh, raiding the refrigerator. They've been raiding the snack cabinet. And listen, I love junk food. I'll be honest with you. You give me some Cool Ranch Doritos and some Diet Coke, I'm good. You give me the Tostitos chips that, that look like little mushrooms that have like, you know how they make them now, so you can put, put the salsa in them like a little pool. You give me some chips and salsa, man, I'm good. I'll eat them till they're gone. You can't just have one. Uh, man, you give me some Breyers ice cream, 
and uh, give me some a chocolate sauce or something to put on it. I'm telling you what, I'm loving life and living large. Uh, I like to make homemade milkshakes. I love junk food. But listen, if all I ate was junk food, I would be a very unhealthy person, a very lethargic person. And what happens many times is that we don't have an appetite for good food because we've been so ho- hopped up and hyped up on junk food. And I'll say this, one of the reasons why teenagers many times struggle with reading their Bible, struggle with being attentive at church, struggling with having an appetite for the things of God is because you spend all of your life filling your life with junk food. You say, like what? Well, like unguarded hours on the television set. And I'm not even talking about watching wrong TV. Let, let's, just, let's just all assume that everybody in this room has great standards. I'm just talking about the time that we spend. You know, why is it so easy to sit down and watch two, three, four hours of TV, just veg out, and so difficult to read even 20 minutes straight in our Bible? Why? Because junk food is so appealing. You know, you go down the supermarket, supermarket aisle, junk food, I mean, it's advertised so appealingly. Uh, it tastes so good. I mean, give me a break. If I've got a bowl of, uh, of, of, of ranch-style, cool ranch Doritos, and I've got, like, carrots, I mean, give me a break. That's a no-brainer. I'm going to take those cool ranch Doritos every time. And I'm telling you, what is right for your body, what is good for your body, and what your taste buds want are oftentimes two very different things. And if you're going to have the right kind of appetite, you're going to have to develop an appetite for good food. I remember going to Bible college. They had a salad bar. I had never gone to a salad bar before in my life. But I I just decided, because I was working so much and getting like four hours sleep a night, that I needed to treat my body right and and exercise and eat right. And so I started eating salads, and I hated it. But you know, a strange thing happened. I ate salad every day. And after a while, I started to like it more and more. Before long, I'm putting the broccoli on it, and I'm putting the cauliflower on it, and I'm putting the Brussels sprouts on it, and I'm putting, the, uh, I'm putting the, 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 all the good things on there. Uh, and, and I'm eating salad every day. And that's the way it works. Listen, if you'll decide to fast and then get off junk food, I did this for an entire year, to start eating right food, after a while, that right food will be appealing to you. That's the way the Bible works. If you'll decide for a while to shut the television off, limit yourself to how much you're going to spend time in that video game this summer, or the Wii, or the PSP, or whatever it is. If you'll decide that you're going to limit the amount of time you uh, give to entertainment, and you're going to start to force yourself to eat right food, you'd be amazed after a while how that right food will become appealing to you. And one of the reasons why we don't have an appetite for God is because we're eating far too much junk food. All right, lastly, you've listened well. Why don't we have an appetite for God? Well, maybe we're not alive. Maybe we're not working. Maybe we're eating too much junk food. And then lastly, maybe we're just sick. You know when people don't eat? They don't eat when they're sick. If my kids aren't hungry, I ask them one of two things. Number one, you know, what, 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 have, you been, what, what, what have you been eating? What have you been snacking on? Because they're not hungry because they've been eating junk food. Or number two, don't you feel well? I mean, when a teenage guy could go to a restaurant, like we like Longhorns, that's our favorite restaurant. Get a good steak. Man, I love a good steak. I mean, cooked medium, 
A1 sauce, mashed potatoes on the side. I mean, I love a good steak. If I take my boys to a steakhouse and they don't want to eat steak, then there's something wrong. Either they've just hopped up on some junk food or they're sick. Because when we're sick, we don't want to eat. You know why you don't want to eat when you're sick? Because when you eat good food when you're sick, what's going to happen? Yeah, you're either, you're, it's going to come out of one end or the other. Not to be gross. But when you're sick and you eat good food, if you're sick, it's going to make, it's going to get what's in you. It's going to get the sickness out of you, isn't it? We don't want to eat when we're sick because it's going to cause the sickness in us to be expelled out of us. And we don't want that. We'd rather kind of just let it die softly. And that's what happens. By the way, when you don't feel like eating, that's when you need to eat the most. My dad died of cancer. Uh, he was, uh, I wish you could have known my dad. He was, a, he was just a very engaging personality. You would have loved him. Six foot five. Uh, just highly intelligent. He knew something about everything. Great conversationalist. You would, you would have loved my dad. My dad probably weighed 250 pounds. Big strapping, six foot five. Man, got pancreatic cancer. The, the sad thing about pancreatic cancer is once you find out you have it, it's almost always too late to deal with it. It's almost always in late stages. It's very undetectable in early stages. So he got pancreatic cancer, and although he went to all the chemotherapies and radiations and experimental treatments, he nevertheless died of cancer. I never forget visiting my dad during the last few months of his life. My dad, a big six foot five, 250 pound guy, was now about 100 pounds. He looked like an Auschwitz concentration camp victim. I mean, his skin was all sunken into his face, his eyes were all sunken in, his arms just looked like bones, his legs looked like bones, he couldn't move, his stomach was sunken in. He desperately needed nutrition, he desperately needed it. But you know what? He just didn't want it. And it was kind of like I was the parent and he was the child. I'd sit by his bed and I'd say, Dad, can you take one bite for me? Come on, Dad, take one bite. I'd have applesauce like I'm feeding a baby. Dad, come on, you need to have something. Hey, Dad, hey, three more bites. Can you take three more bites for me, Dad? Three more bites. No, no, son, Come on, Dad, you got to have something. You need something in your body. Come on, Dad, one bite. Can you take one big bite for me? And then it'll it'll be over. One bite. How sad. You know, he ended up dying. I don't know if the cancer killed him or the malnutrition killed him. It really doesn't matter, does it? That's where some of you are right now. You're sick. You have no appetite. And youth pastors and parents and pastors and Brother Skelly comes in and we say, can you take one bite? Come on, can you listen? Hey, maybe I'll tell a funny joke and that'll get you back. And then maybe I can give you another bite of Bible. Then I can tell another funny story. Then maybe, what, two more bites? Can you have two more bites? Then see how it works. If there's not an appetite in your heart to say, Pastor Skelly, just give me the Bible. Brother Schmidt, just teach me the Bible. 
Brother, put your pastor's name in there. Just give me the Bible. I want to hear the Bible. Go longer. I need the Bible. If there's not that appetite in your life, one of four things is true. You're sick. You've had too much junk food. You're not working. Or you're just not alive. How sad. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.